You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Our preacher is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller with today's Word of Hope. In the name of Jesus, amen. It was May in the year 70. That was a while back. And the Roman armies, at the instruction of the emperor, circled around Jerusalem. This was a siege, one of these ancient uh, military tactics uh, in warfare. They would, they, would build, uh, they would encircle the entire city and build a wall of their own armies around the city so that nothing could come in and nothing could go out. And the idea was you make conditions so miserable in the city that the people give up. No food can go out, so the people begin to starve. Uh, filth kind of accumulates in the city, and so disease runs rampant. And the people are, uh, are, are, are so sick of this that they throw up the white flag and they give the city over to the conquering armies. Now, some of the absolute most horrendous accounts of history come from what happens inside a city that's being under siege. Uh, the, the stories are horrific. And, and in fact, the story of the siege of Jerusalem is no different. Uh, a summary of this is uh, Josephus gave, uh, the ancient historian Josephus gave an account of the siege, and a summary of it was normally read in the church on the 10th Sunday after Trinity Sunday. And I have that printed up. I meant to put it in the track rack, but there's a pile of those on my desk if you're interested in reading the whole thing. But here, here's just an excerpt. The city of Jerusalem was well fortified and had three walls. Therefore, the Roman forces approached in full force to storm the city, and after much work, the first and second walls were conquered and taken. At the same time, an innumerable multitude of people died of hunger, as Josephus wrote. The best of friends would often come to blows over a small piece of bread. Children would often rip food from their parents' mouths. Neither brother nor sister had mercy upon the other. A bushel of corn was more precious than gold. Driven by hunger, some... Okay, are you ready? Driven by hunger, some ate manure. Some the cinches of their saddles. Some the leather stripped from their shields. Some still had hay in their mouths when their bodies were found. Some sought to escape starvation by means of their own filth. So many died of starvation that 115,000 corpses were found in the city after the siege and buried. Uh, Hegesippus, ancient historian, reported that at one gate alone, several thousand were carried out and that 600,000 people died because of the siege. This was begun in May uh, and continued all the way through September, but on August 10th, the Roman soldiers were able to make a breach through to the temple. But they couldn't break into the temple because it was so well fortified to get to the priests who were hiding inside. So even though the emperor said, don't destroy the temple, the soldiers there to get to the enemies set the thing on fire and destroyed the temple. And then, because the gold that was lining the inside of the temple melted, they took stone after stone and moved them to get to the gold so that the prophecy of Jesus is fulfilled. Not one stone will be left upon another. At last, the month of September comes and the destruction of Jerusalem is complete. Here's, here's how the account reads. Finally, the entire city of Jerusalem was conquered. Neither young nor old were spared. 
Then a decree went out that all miserable people who were incapable of offering any resistance should be spared. Jerusalem was thoroughly plundered by the foe, raised, which means, oddly enough, lowered, right? Raised, burned, and left in ruin. Some buildings were left standing so that a few Roman soldiers might be able to stand watch there. Only a few devastated buildings and towers were left to indicate that a city had once been there. Thus, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed on the eighth day of September after five months of siege. So Jerusalem, the great city of God, the city where the Lord's temple is, the city of David and his lineage, is now nothing but a smoldering pile of rubble and corpses. Now rewind 38 years to the year 32. Jesus is entering into Jerusalem for the last time. He comes walking with his disciples over the road from Bethany and comes to the crest of the Mount of Olives and there below him is the city standing in all of its splendor. There kind of down and off to the right is the, is the temple in its huge gleaming white stones built by Herod himself. And there's the three walls that surround the mountain, uh, Mount Zion there, th that give the illusion of safety and majesty and strength. And in, and in the middle of this city, or all around the outside, the towers and castles that would be on the wall, and then cities, uh, uh, homes and buildings all in the middle, and even around the outside with all sorts of things happening, commerce and and families and business, people going to and fro. There's synagogues and marketplaces and and workshops, and the children are playing, and people are walking across the sidewalks that go across the roofs of the houses because everything was so compact together. And Jesus comes over the mountain, and he looks at this laid out before him, and he weeps. That's the gospel text today. Jesus weeps because he knows what's coming. I sometimes wonder about our own ability to see emotions on God's face, on Jesus' face. My friend Pastor Melius asked me about this this week. He, he said, do you think that we have an easier time seeing the face of God angry than we do seeing the face of God crying and full of tears? I think that's true. We have the face of Jesus with a scowl on it on the very cover of the bulletin as he's taken up cords to drive the sellers from the temple. But it's before this, the day before, that he stands on the mountain and looks over the city and he cries. He weeps. There's tears in the eyes of your Jesus. And they're running down, a, down his face. They're washing little clean, they're washing the dirt away from little clean streaks that now go down his cheek and his beard is is becoming, becoming wet with his own tears. The eyes of your Jesus are a bit bloodshot. His nose is a bit runny. His voice is a bit shaky. He's weeping over Jerusalem. You, I'm sure, have been there when a grown man has begun to cry, and especially when there's no prompting. And you know that sensation. It's a bit strange. And you want to know what's going on and you want to know what you can do to fix it. Jesus tells us. 
When he drew near to and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, would have known on this day the things that make for your peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you, surround you, hem you in on every side, and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus is weeping because he knows that destruction is coming. He knows that this devastation is around the corner, that there is wrath to be unfolded, and he is sad. He weeps because Jesus does not like destruction. He does not like Jerusalem's destruction. And he does not like your destruction. The Lord will have wrath over sin. It is Jesus, after all, who brings this punishment to bear on Jerusalem and the people living there. He will have wrath over sin. But this is what the Bible calls his strange work. In Latin, his opus alienum, his alien work. Isaiah 28 teaches us. It's Isaiah 28 verse 1 says, For the Lord will rise up as on Mount Perizim, as in the valley of Gibeon. He will be roused to do his deed. Strange is his deed. And to work his work. Alien is his work. So we know that God will punish and He will break and He will cast off. But this is His strange work. It is His work done with tears because the Lord wants more than anything. He wants to heal and He wants to give life and He wants to give joy. It is His desire that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of His Son. And so He stands there and He looks at Jerusalem filled with sinners, filled with death, plummeting towards destruction, knowing that their hearts are hardened to his gifts, and he weeps. And he does even more. He goes down into this city and he preaches. He grabs a whip of cords and he clears out the temple. He calls for repentance. He shows himself to be God's son by working miracles. And at last he hands himself over to his enemies. He hands himself over to the whip and to the nail. And to the cross, Jesus hands himself over to the punishment of Jerusalem, the punishment that they deserve, the punishment that we deserve, your punishment, and that wrath that Jerusalem is going to get, Jesus suffers it. And the wrath that you deserve, Jesus tastes it and takes it so that you could have life. But the people of Jerusalem miss it. Not all of them. A big chunk of the people were living in Jerusalem became Christians. And they, and they hear this text, and they hear the text from Matthew 24, Jesus' warning about this, and they escape this destruction. They're not there when the Roman armies destroy the city. But there were still people in the city, over a million. And they were unbelieving. They did not hear the words of Jesus. They did not repent. They did not believe. And their end was destruction. The very thing that would bring life and peace to Jerusalem was right there in her midst. And they missed it. But this very same thing 
that was the peace of Jerusalem is your peace. It is Jesus and his blood and his promise. The very thing that was to bring them peace and joy, hope and life, forgiveness and salvation is in our midst. And so it is that we, we find great joy and great comfort in these tears of Jesus because we know by these tears that he cries also for us that he despises our death and our destruction and even more he has done everything so that we would not see death or taste condemnation Jesus has died. He has died for you. Jesus was destroyed for you so that you wouldn't be. And Jesus loves you. He is the one who has given you repentance, who has given you faith in his word, who has given you trust in his promise and nothing nothing in all the world can separate you from that love. Not life, not death, not angels, not principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor anything else in all of creation can separate you from that love. And in the end, that Jesus was destroyed so that we wouldn't be, this is our comfort. And this is our hope. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 9.15, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 10.45 a.m. On Tuesday mornings, there is a matin service at 8.30 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 9.30 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace.